You are listening to Big Trouble in Little Podcast. And here are your hosts, Joe Dove and Andy. peeps and welcome to another edition of big trouble Little podcast episode 68 i am joe dubs i'm andy and we are starting our new ranking we already did planet of the apes we are doing star trek now the old star trek with captain kirk and you know spock and bones and all those good people um but before we get into that andy what the hell have you been watching um, some Japanese stuff. Uh, last week I watched a ton of stuff, but this this week I kind of I didn't as much. I watched. It's really hard to describe. The second movie in like an epic from uh, Japan, The Human Condition, mm-hmm. based on a novel, or it's either a novel, it's like a series of of six novels or something like that, and uh, it's real heavy, and it's about um. A guy who's kind of, uh, I guess he's a socialist, he's kind of a pacifist in a way, and again, it's just just hard to talk about. It's it's a classic in Japanese movies, Mm -hmm. and I watched the second one, and each movie is like famously long. This one was three hours and a minute long. But I thought, hey, I saw Endgame, so fuck it, I'll watch this movie. And it was, of course, great, and it ended on like a crazy, interesting, like, oh my god, cliffhanger. So now I gotta watch... The next one soon, I hope. I watched the first movie. Speaking of Japanese movies that come in series, I watched the first movie in a series of five that is popularly known. And I thought about this watching the series, and I looked it up, and sure enough, it was right. Popularly known as like the Godfather of Japan, um, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. It's a series of five movies based on a uh, Yakuza's um, memoirs that he was writing while he was in prison in the seventies, and they were published as articles. And they made these movies about him. And the first movie was very cool. It's like really fast. It's hard to keep track of. But it reminds me of Godfather a lot. Except it's a little hammier. Like when a guy dies, there's like a big band sting. And it's like, oh, this guy died on the stage or whatever. <laughs> okay. uh, but but it's interesting because there's even like a scene where they're arguing about whether to sell drugs and stuff like that. And just like in Godfather. And it's about the families, the different Yakuza families. Like they're at peace, but they're not. And there's fights. And, and then fighting breaks out and they're all really violent and it's like everyone you know people get shot every once in a while but also every once in a while someone has a sword which is pretty cool mm-hmm. um it starts in in well around rather hiroshima in 1946 which as you can imagine is a super turbulent time in japanese history and uh apparently like i own it on blu-ray it's from arrow films but uh it's on Amazon Prime apparently. So I highly recommend it. I've been telling people about it and I think a couple of my friends are going to watch it. So same to the viewers. Uh it's a yakuza movie. It's like up until this point in Japanese history, yakuza movies had been like it had always been uh they were portrayed as like not Robin Hoods, but kind of like heroes. They were like the, uh, gallant and stuff and it like reflected like a romanticized version of Japanese history. 
but then these movies came out and showed like the actual like how bad it is and as the title implies battles without honor and humanity it's just like they're real shitty and violent and it's just no good and a lot of people get killed and backstabbed and stuff and I mean, it's a cool series and then I also went to the theater and saw Godzilla King of Monsters and that was a cool experience because I went with three friends and we were the only ones in the theater which sucks for that movie but man it was cool <laughs> Yeah, and I saw it too, and we will be discussing this after we do Star Trek, so keep an eye out for now playing Godzilla King of Monsters. On me, on the other hand, I did a little bit more TV than movies, but I did see two movies, which is Godzilla King of the Monsters and then Toy Story, You Got a Friend, Me. Just because Toy Story 4 is coming out, and I'm just going to watch all three before I see the fourth one. Uh, because I want to refresh my mind of all the sad scenes before I cry again in Toy Story 4. Uh, but I did watch Black Mirror's new season. Uh, I believe it's season 5. It had like three episodes. And I just want to say I'm really disappointed in this season. I think they put all their eggs in one basket in the Bandersnatch thing that they made. This was season five already? I thought this was like season two. No, they've, they've had multiple seasons, and they don't have like a set list. Like, whatever they want to do and make. Uh, like, last season, I believe, was five episodes. I think the longest season was season two with six. Hmm. Okay. And then season five was with three. But usually, every episode has like a Twilight Zone kind of twist to it uh and usually black mirror has like a somber ending because you know it talks about the the technology and how it's taken over you know human uh like social stuff and all that stuff and just it's bad <laughs> like the, the post-apocalyptic stuff where machines have taken over it, it it's a good watch it's like the modern day twilight zone not the one with Jordan uh, Peele, but, you know, uh, Cory Booker. Which is literally the modern-day Twilight Zone, I guess. Yeah, which is on CBS Access. For nine ninety nine. I think. Uh, then I saw Lost again. I watched a couple of episodes because I had the itch of watching Lost, one of my favorite shows of all time. And then Dark Season 1, which is a German uh, TV show on Netflix uh, about time traveling, murder, and mystery, and all that stuff. Uh, season 2 is coming out, so if you want to check out uh, this show, it's on Netflix. It's really, really good. It's German. It's I, I'm not really big on the whole subtitles thing when it comes to TV shows, uh, but... I digged it. People were telling me to go watch it because I'm, I'm, I'm so into time travel stuff in movies. So they're like, "Here, watch this," and I was like, "Oh shit, it's amazing!" So uh, go see it. It's on Netflix. Watch it now. Which, by the way, did you notice they raised the price on Netflix again? No, uh, did they? They sent me an email that said they were going to, but I didn't know if it had happened yet. Yeah, it went from like eleven dollars to fifteen dollars now. Oh, mine went from nine to something. I don't know. It's in the teens now. All right, I think we're going to get into our ranking uh, of the Star Trek movies. Uh, first, we're going to start off with Star Trek The Motion Picture. 
right off the bat, I want to say, uh, did you see the TV show? No, not really. Because I feel like they alluded to a lot of, I mean, they did do the nostalgia of, you know, each character, like uh, George Takai's character, uh, Kirk, Spock, and all that stuff. They had their moments, kind of like when Star Wars does it, when they, like, show their old characters. But I feel like I should watch the season or the series finale of the TV show to kind of know what happened to Kirk at the end because there's a whole new, uh, like, remodel of the Enterprise and I felt like I was missing something. I don't know if you had the same uh, feeling. I mean, not really. I understand the original Star Trek. Um, you know, it was it was a serialized space adventure. It didn't have a whole lot of, like, linear plot stuff. From what I understand, again, I haven't seen it. I've seen every episode of Next Generation, but the original series I just haven't really gotten around to. It doesn't interest me as much, but I would still like to see it eventually. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I just, I know, I understand what each character does. I know who Uhura is. I know who Scotty is. Chekhov. Chekhov, Sulu. Bones McCoy, you know, Spock and Kirk. I, I already know all those characters. I know their their traits. I know their jobs on the Enterprise. And I know a lot of, like, the broad strokes of some of the stories. I know what Tribbles are. I know what uh, Klingons are. I know there's lots of crazy stuff happens in space. So, yeah, I, I still get it. Like, at the beginning of this movie, I, I was, I don't know, I was always able to keep up, I guess. I get it. Mm-hmm. And what I found really surprising is they had the uh, alleged child uh, molester, Stephen Collins, the guy from Seventh Heaven, as Decker in it. Oh, I didn't know all that. I didn't even know the actor's name. Yeah. Did you, you ever see Seventh Heaven? Uh, no. I, is that a TV show? Yeah, it's a TV show that was <laughs> on the WB and then before it turned to CW. Yeah, I used to watch it before school, usually the school, or after school. I think it was after school more. Um, but I was like, hey, that's the guy from 7th Heaven. That was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, so, and with Captain Kirk, by the way, was he an admiral? Did I hear? Yeah, at the beginning, he's an admiral. They, they, they dress him as admiral. And yeah. he, he, he wants to get back on the ship. Like, that's that's part of the plot. That's part of, like... The, the his story arc is he wants to get back on the Enterprise. He doesn't want to be an admiral. He wants to be out there doing stuff. He wants his ship back. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in love with that ship. He wants uh, he he gets on there and he you know stop competing with me, Decker. And he's like, oh, you're competing with him, Jim. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like the. Uh, I thought the chemistry with Kirk and Decker was pretty good. Uh, there is. And I and I just want to put this uh, right off the bat. I just want to say, like, the camera work in this movie was pretty good. I would have yeah, to, absolutely. I I would even say, and this is a bold statement, that it's kind. I I I digged it more than Star Wars, on on the camera work. But then again, like, they did more models and stuff. I I feel like this one was more of a stage, and. Yeah. And yeah, Star, Star Wars was like a special effects big deal, and this movie has some awesome killer effects in it. Like when that probe is on the bridge and stuff, just the way it's shot. Mm-hmm. 
I don't understand how they did it, but whatever, it looks really cool. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's more the director who did this had previously done like some other sci-fi stuff, so he had he'd got to build up more of his technique, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you know that's not a slight against George Lucas; he still tells a perfectly competent story. But a lot of his movies, it's just like it lets the action speak for it. He's not he's not a cinematographer kind of director. Yeah, because every shot I was like, because here's the thing. I know the TV shows. Like, the TV show was kind of... Uh, we all know TV shows have a less budget than the movie. Um, but I was going into this being like... Because i never seen any of the movies. I was going in being like, this might look cheesy. And it didn't. No, yeah, this this movie had a, a big budget. This was a big deal. Um, They had originally... Obviously, they made two seasons of the original Star Trek. And eventually there was an animated series or something like that. But, um... It did okay, did pretty well, but then in syndication, it got like really popular, like it blew up, and they're like, "Well, we got to do more with Star Trek," and they were working on. I, I, if I was a bigger Trekkie, if I knew more about Star Trek, I'd be able to walk you through it a little bit better. But it was like there was gonna be a movie, and then they said, "Well, let's just do a season three of the TV show." So they started developing the characters of like Ilya and Decker and a couple other things, and then I think what happened is Star Wars: A New Hope happened. And they were like, "Well, shit, we should just make a movie. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's where the movie. That's where the money is now. We'll make a summer uh, blockbuster. Uh, we're gonna own the summer of 1979. I assume it came out in the summer. I don't even know if that's true. But uh, instead of making it like action packed, you know, Star Wars is science fantasy. A lot of people don't really make the distinction, but it. I mean, it is. It's still. It's more out there." Star Trek is more science fiction. It's grounded. Oh, it's the future, but technology kind of makes sense. Came out so in the they winter. Went for more of like a 2001 feel to it, because there are several scenes in this movie that feel right out of 2001, because it's all slow and deliberate, and it's in space, and the soundtrack is like serene but tense. Uh, that sounded stupid and, con- and contradictory, but I think people get what I'm trying to say. So they did that, and. The movie was an okay success. Mm-hmm. It did. It didn't. It didn't break records. Um, I'm looking at it. It came out in the winter, uh, December 9th, nineteen seventy nine. Um, their budget was thirty five million. In the USA, they made eighty two uh, million and two hundred fifty eight. But about eighty two. Eighty-two million and three hundred dollars, thousand dollars, pretty much, and um, worldwide they made about one hundred and thirty-nine million. So yeah, that's a success. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was a success. It was good enough that they made several more. Yeah, yeah. So I was real impressed with it because when I when I, when I was watching when I was starting to watch it, I was like, oh, this is. This might be a little rough to get through. Um, oh, I, I, I really want to talk about the first scene uh, with the, 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 the Klingon. It's not the birds of prey. It's like the larger vessel. It's like really slow. Mm-hmm. That, that's the scene you're talking about, like where they're flying up on them. And they're talking in Klingon, so there's subtitles. Yeah. The, the first scene in this movie would be such a turnoff to someone expecting Star Wars. And I don't know why they made that choice, it, but it really does set the tone for the rest of the movie. And I fucking love that scene. I love how those Klingon ships look. They look like real weathered and like 
real, for lack of a better term. I love the music. The, the, the score of this entire movie is great. Mm-hmm. Put that out there right now. But I love that first scene. But if anyone ever said they hated that first scene, I'd say, yeah, you're right. That first scene is awful. <laughs> it's just, oh, I love it. it uh, those models look great. And uh, I guess this is the first appearance of um, Klingons looking that way. I don't know if that's true or not, but Klingons in the original series didn't have the crazy elaborate makeup that we know from Next Generation. So I think this movie is the first time that was used. Again, if I was a bigger Trekkie, I would know. I always mean before we do these episodes to try to like research stuff a little bit more, but you could reach, research Star Trek for the next year and not know everything about it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I researched uh, kind of the twist of this movie, which we'll get down the road in a few. Um, but did you have... In the beginning of this movie, was there like a couple of minutes where it's just blank screen? By the way, I with with music. Yes, I I think so. Yeah, because it shows the logo, and that's kind of it for a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, that sounds right. It was on Amazon Prime, and I turned it on, and then all of a sudden it was like black screen for at least a minute and a half, and I was like. Oh god, it, it is it broken? But then I don't know if it was that long for me or not. I don't know, it felt long. And then I fast forward to obviously the Klingon part, which I thought was amazing. I'm with you on that one. Okay, good, good, good. The only thing I really want to say that was kind of a turnoff, but I knew why they did it is when <laughs> Scotty and Kirk are like traveling to the Enterprise, and it yeah, literally that little shuttle. Yeah, yeah it literally took forever. They milk that way too long, and it's cool because it's like, oh man, yeah, the Enterprise, and then it's like, yeah, th- that's the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and then like the music keeps like sweeping up and up and up, and eventually you're like, oh come on, Jesus Christ, this movie's two and a half hours. This is why. Yeah, they do a couple of scenes where it's like that when they when they obviously when they go into the uh the weird blue cloud like i understand they were trying to make it suspenseful that's that i understand a little bit more because it's like the unknown like mm. what every time they're going further into viger it's more like this is mysterious everything i'm seeing i'm seeing for the first time but and you know i've never been to a dry dock in low earth orbit where a, a constellation class starship is being retrofitted obviously but it's it's more like you get a, a couple good looks at it and you get it mm-hmm. but the inside of viger it's like it's all like really great special effects and matte paintings and stuff like that so there's there's a time to use these long scenes and to let the soundtrack breathe and they just do it for too long in some places and that is the worst offender but there's a few other places i'd argue where okay i get it come on movie let's fucking get on with it i want to really say that william shatner uh did i say his name right william shatner there you go shatner Shatner. really good in the movies i felt like in the tv show he was like overdoing it probably probably because it was his you know first things he's done as like a big actor i guess he honed his acting chops on tj hooker i guess i I never watched it Mm -hmm. But he was really good. Uh, Leonardo, uh, Leonardo Nemo. I can't fucking say his name. Spock, the guy who plays Spock. Um, Leonard Nemo. Nemo. Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy. There we go. There's something really weird about Star Trek movies, and that's that a lot of the actors who play 
the sci-fi characters also have weird sci-fi names. Deep Space Nine is the worst about that. But anyway. Yeah, George Akai was good. Um, the guy who uh, plays Bones is really good. Uh, the acting, some of it was kind of lame a little bit, but n- not too terrible. At times, like, I always expect, and, like, uh, William Shatner has this reputation for not being a great actor, but he's really, really trying in this movie. He does a great job, and there's several times where, like, if you take it by itself, it seems like he's not being a good actor, but um, I wish I could remember the exact line. They're on the bridge, and it's after they've already talked about Decker, like, fighting him on stuff, and he goes, he's like, Decker! You're exactly right. Or something like that. I can't remember what he says, but it's I really like the way it's delivered and he I I don't know. He he has he has a way of of using his uh the cadence of his speech to act, which is of course the the meme, but I, I think it works. I, I I like I like his interactions with pretty much everyone he interacts with mm-hmm. in a nutshell. Uh Leonard Nimoy has to spend half the movie being like an emotionless because cause he's he's on Vulcan and they're like oh you you've successfully beaten all emotion out of you you're a pure logic machine and they're about to like you've done it you're one of us and he oh hang on wait and then he's something's calling out to me out there in space so the you know he's got to be a weirdo for half the movie which is kind of a shame but it still leads to all those really cool um like you expect them to see each other and like oh, I'm so glad to see you, and they fucking bump fists and high-five and shit, but you don't get any of that. You gotta wait. Wait till the end of the movie. Yeah, and I will say, like, when Kirk is yelling at Decker on the bridge, like, I feel like that's more genuine, because he's like, you know, I'm the captain here. Who who, who the fuck do you think you are? And then, you know, logic comes into sense, and matureness and his leadership comes in, and he's like, yeah, you're right. But then, pro- then when he you know brings him into the corridor, he's like, "Yo, what the fuck are you doing?" And then he does it again, uh, where you know, why did you? What was that scene? Something about oh yeah, phasers to torpedoes and stuff. He's like, "Why did you cancel my uh, phaser order?" And, and he's like, "And he's like, oh yeah, that's logical. And now I understand." <laughs> yeah, he like tells him, and he's like. Oh, <laughs> you can tell he's like a little deflated in a way. Then uh, uh, you were exactly right, of course. And he like turns away immediately. Mm-hmm. That's like really good blocking and really good. Um, like that, that scene is shot so cleverly because it's just the three of them. It's just Decker, Kirk, and Bones in a room, and they're talking. And he says, "Why did you do this?" And like Bones is off to the side, and they're they're saying it. And he says, "Well." you don't understand on the new ship that phasers are tied into the warp drive if you fired the phasers or they wouldn't have worked because the warp drive was engaged. He said, you know, science nonsense. He says, oh, you were absolutely correct then. And he like turns away and faces the wall and then Bones gets closer to him and it kind of like advances the scene a little bit, which then leads to stop competing with me. And then he leaves and then Bones is like, you're the one who's competing. You need to quit being a dick. And he's like, I'll tell you when I'll stop being a dick, you <laughs> asshole. And then Bones leaves, and those those doors close, and they're like the real dark glass, and it just like frames Kirk perfectly in the center of the scene, mm-hmm. or the center of the shot, and those doors close, and it's like, the the oh, it's so cool. I like that part a lot. 
Yeah, like, I, that, that scene's got that. That's that's to your point of like this movie shot really cleverly. Like you can tell that there was thought given into. Okay, well, two characters have to have a conversation, but something interesting has to happen in the scene instead of two idiots dressed in all white yelling at each other. It's they they tell the story with uh, uh, body language and again blocking to use that term again. Yeah, and people that are new to Star Trek. Uh, because I watched The Next Generation, and I did watch a couple of like episodes in the the, the first ever Star Trek TV show. You've probably seen more of it than I have, then. Yeah, like Star Trek is more politics than action. Uh, Star Wars is more of the you know I, I got lightsabers, and then eventually in the prequels they get a little more political, which is probably the worst idea they ever made. But I digress. Um, Star Trek is more of we're going to talk about this before we, you know, get into a war kind of thing. But when they do fight, it's really, the tension is high. Like, you feel what's going on in the bridge. Like, we need to go into warp speed. We need to hit them with phasers, bring up the shields and stuff. That's why I want to get the uh, the VR <laughs> game. Me too. But here's an interesting fact about this movie. Um, you know, again, consider the fact that this came out just a few years after Star Wars, they don't fire phasers a single time in this movie. Mm-hmm. They fire photon torpedoes once. At There's an no asteroid. conflict in this movie. Yeah, at an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. There's no conflict in this movie. It's all, it's all grade A science Star Trek bullshit. I love it. Yep. Um, trying to think what else I think. Uh, Scotty... Didn't have a lot of roles in this film besides saying yeah, that ship is pretty good condition, sir. We're trying to get all, all, all the supporting characters take a back seat in this. Uh, Chekhov, Ahura, mm-hmm. um, Sulu, they're in it, but barely. Oh, the one bad acting I'll give is when Chekhov gets burnt by the, the green lightning, where he just screams really loud. I don't know. I really like in the, the, the one scene where they're like, photon torpedoes. It just, it sounds funny. It makes me smile. Oh, yeah, the, the wormhole. The wormhole thing yeah. was funny because all the the time is different in wormholes and everything. Yeah. Uh, but it's because they've got, um, they want so much of the plot to focus on Decker and Ilya, which is fine. They're both really interesting characters, and I think they're both well acted. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's, you can tell. Like, when I heard... For the first time that those characters were leftovers from when this was going to be a season three and they were going to have those characters i said that makes perfect sense because immediately you can tell there were supposed to be more to these characters they still do a really good job in two and a half hours getting across the fact that they had had a relationship and he left and she was upset about it but they still love each other and where the movie takes that is really interesting so it's cool it's still a good job that they that they did what they did but you can tell. And so I guess it's for better that they, they, they put the other characters to the side and deal with the new characters. And of course, we still we keep the, 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 the trilogy of, of great characters of Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Kirk and Spock, but Bones has always been my favorite. I just love that Bones comes on the bridge just to see what's going on. And then when he sees weird shit, he just leaves. Yeah, he's a doctor. What's he supposed to be doing? You know, no one's in there yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's bored and being in the medical bay and he's just like well, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they like draft him and like you know oh you're going on board the enterprise and they they beam him up and he's like 
and his stupid like disco outfit or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's got like a medallion in his chest hair and a beard, and he's just all pissed off. <laughs> and then like he's, he's upset. He's oh, they drafted me, Jim, and oh, you did this. This is your fault. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of my favorite. Him and uh, Scotty are my favorite. Mm. Uh, Scotty got to be uh, got to be in that whole scene where they're flying to the ship for an hour and a half. Yeah, but he shines when he's uh, saying that. I can't give it any more power, Captain. This one, he was just like, "Yeah, the, the engines are not doing that great." <laughs> yeah, seriously, you, you guys need to quit doing this. We need to work on the engines. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of uh, V'ger? Um, The whole twist, I think, when uh, you know we sent this probe out 300 years, I was like, oh, that's really good. I really like those kind of twists. Um, but I really want to bring up to you with, with V'ger, is this the origin of the Borg? That has been a popular fan theory. I knew we were going to talk about this, so I kind of re-familiarized myself with it. <laughs> it's been a popular fan theory for a long time. And um, I don't know if I buy it. Like, when someone first told me, I was like, oh, wow, really? And I always kind of liked it. But the more you think about it and the more you read into it, the more you're like, uh, I don't know if I like this or not. Like, um, it would be a little bit of, like, a retrocon thing because obviously they developed the Borg later. But, I mean, the, what we know of the Borg, they wouldn't have handled V'ger the way they did. It could have been the civilization from before the Borg, like before there was a hive mind or something like that, that found V'ger or found Voyager 6 after it had gone through the wormhole. But, you know, the Borg, as we know it, they would consider it like not worth assimilating, not worth dealing with. They would just ignore it. Um, There is another version of that fan theory which makes a little more sense but only barely and it also falls apart immediately and that is that at the end when um uh V'ger gets what it wants uh it gets to touch the creator the creator comes and puts in the final part of the the code sequence so it can send all of its data and um uh robo idlea and decker are like i don't know zapped it looks really cool that seems gorgeous I don't fully understand what's happening, if I'm being honest. It's like a light show. Yeah, it's just a really cool light show. And then they're like, oh, we made a new life form. It gets to make its own way in the world or in the universe. There's another like sub-theory that the new life form that they created went back to the other side of the universe, like where V'ger had been sent back from, and then begat the Borg because the marriage of Decker and Ilea is like half half biological, half machine. But I, I don't like that either because, like, the times are thrown off. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And, um, like, the, the robotic version of Ilea that Verger had creative, created was far more complicated than anything that we see from the Borg uh, however long Next Generation is later, 150 years later. So mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense either. They're both really fun theories. And I guess uh, Gene Roddenberry himself at some point had alluded that one of them was true. But I, there's a lot of like creators, when they're confronted with fan theories like this, they like to be like, oh, maybe we did that. And it's like they're thinking, oh, shit, that's kind of good. I, don't, I didn't mean to. Maybe, that's, maybe we'll keep it. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But- well, I go back to First Contact in uh, 
in the Star Trek Next Generation movies, where yeah. where they're assimilating humans pretty much, and I feel like that's what Vega was doing in a way because he's like he's always want to collect data, collect data, collect data. And that's what a probe does, and you know that's what he was programmed to do. That's what Verger or Viger is for. It's what Voyagers were for. Mm-hmm. So I feel like at some point this Viger became an AI, or they use an AI for the probe, uh, and met up with the Borg some somewhere, and then Deck. I don't know. I I I just thought it was pretty cool in that. This is true of the origin of the Borg. I dig it. <laughs> because it could, be, it could be cool. I used to think it was really cool. And honestly, I thought it was completely canon the way someone had explained it to me. Mm-hmm. But after I watched the movie this most recent time, I was just reading some stuff online about it. And someone in more than one place is like explained why it didn't make sense. And someone else would be like, but Gene Roddenberry. And then someone else would be like, oh, but all this. The more I read about it, the more I was like, oh, yeah, this doesn't make that much sense. But it's a shame because it is really cool. It would be a nice, like, cyclical thing to the Star Trek universe. But I don't know. I mean, if uh, if you believe it, then, you know, that, that's your headcanon, and it's all the better for you. The problem with TV shows is they'll take a source, and they'll run with it, and then other people make other sources where it it goes away from the origin story a little bit. So I don't know if it got, it got lost in the writer's room in some way, but I, f- I feel like it would be a good origin story because how did, does the Borg get these, like, human figures? <laughs> like, they're half robot and half, you know, carbon units. <laughs> carbon units. So I don't know. It... it it really made me want to watch The Next Generation again, though, and all the other Deep Space Nine, the newer uh, Star Trek shows. So maybe I'll watch The Next Generation. Because <laughs> that's my favorite. Out of every enemy in Star Trek, the Borg got my interest. Because don't they mess with time travel in, in The Next Generation? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, first contact, that's that's the plot, is the Borg go back in time near earth mm-hmm. yeah so i really dig the the vegar thing um i did like the build-up where there was it was mysterious so like oh uh we're collecting data oh you know we're gonna like at some point she was like oh we're just gonna get rid of all the carbon units we just <laughs> we just want the enterprise and the creator at earth they like, think they, they think the Enterprise is like a being, and all these carbon units are like on the Enterprise, like infesting it or something. Like a virus, pretty much. That's not that's not what it is. Yeah, I, I for some strange reason I thought <laughs> they were gonna tell Vigor like, oh, your creator was NASA, <laughs> because they're like they were talking about NASA who sent the Voyager out three hundred years ago, and I was like, are they really gonna say NASA was their creator? <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, Spock, I thought was really good uh, when he was... Because it felt like he had an agenda. What was his agenda, by the way, of this uh, this power source? Because I felt like... He wanted, 
he wanted to get near it because because it is a machine, it's a being, a thinking being of like pure logic. And he senses that. I don't know if it called out to him or he just sensed it's because he's way the hell over on on Vulcan, which is not near Earth. Mm-hmm. But he senses, oh, it, it's I, I need to understand this thing. I, it can help me be a more perfect Klingon because Spock was only half Klingon. And he was always trying to like figure out which which world he was part of and it was always mostly he's a Vulcan he wants to be he wants to get rid of all his emotions yeah. so getting getting to V'ger would have been a good way to do that mm-hmm. and then when you know V'ger was probing the Enterprise with that like lightning thing <laughs> I, like, I like how it was like zapping people especially when they break the computer one of the best effects in that entire movie. I mean, that whole sequence is great. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, but it's like um, the the motion of the camera seems weird, and I love the sound effects, like the whatever it is, and um, the light's cool. But I love that it has been loud for so long, for several minutes, and it's zapping people, and it zaps Ilya, and then just like, and then it's just super quiet, and that thing she was holding like drops to the floor. It's it's kind of startling, and I really like that part. I thought Decker was going to, no pun intended, deck Kirk after, like, Ilya got taken away. No, nah, he's classier than that. That's why he gets to say, that's how I define unfounded. Mm. And it's, oh, snap! Yeah. And at times, Kirk looked like he was, you know, didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> he's like, should I be in this seat? Like, you could tell... By the how he was looking, he was thinking that in a way, in my opinion. I mean, it might look come off different to you, but uh, it's how I, I read everything when it came down to him and Decker. I, didn't... I, I don't know. I thought he had more confidence in that. I think Kirk, for at least the first act, maybe the first two acts, he's sure that he's where he needs to be. The, the, the Enterprise is where he belongs. The consequences and other people be damned like he comes to comes to decker and he says i'm replacing you as captain of the enterprise you will be uh the the exo you'll be the the temporary commander or something like that he's like no this is my ship this is right at least that's the way i interpret yeah and i really liked what they did because spock is like you know vigor's like a child and stuff and they're like everybody get off the bridge we're not going to tell uh, who the creator is. We're not going to give any information. Hmm. Just because, you know, Vigor was acting like a child, you know, having a tantrum and stuff. What do you think we should do? Spank it? <laughs> oh, man. But uh, other than that, it was pretty f- straightforward. You know, it was really long to, to get to that point of uh, seeing the whole uh, space probe kind of thing. Um, oh, let's talk about Ilya when <laughs> she was like a robot thing. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of like the, the memories? Like he was, uh, Decker was trying to like use her old memories to kind of like persuade her, you know, what the fuck is going on here. I think that would have been more poignant if we knew what their old memories were. Mm-hmm. Like if- seen them together before or if they had coexisted on the ship for longer it was still interesting and it's like uh that one scene they're like oh everything's 
everything's replicated. Oh, uh, right down to uh, her eyes are even wet or something like that. And it's like, so what's the difference? He could still like you know put it to that robot if he wanted to, right? Is that what you're trying to say? It's it's weird, but um, yeah, I don't get. I guess her memories are in there somewhere. I, it's for the plot, I guess. I don't understand it fully, but it's so that he can. Tr- oh, we need to try to get in with this this robot so we can try to learn. And plus, it makes the ending more poignant, where he does, you know, unite with her and they're together forever, presumably. I guess. Well, kinda, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I I'm thinking, you know, since they took Ilya and made her like a robot thing, that's why I thought the the probe uh, the probe. The, the Borg theory seems, you know, logical in a way that maybe Decker is going to be like her as a robot and they're going to be, uh, not to get too religious, but the Adam Eve of the Borg. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stretching it there. No, I like I said, that's that's the second version of that theory. So. Mm-hmm. Um, totally forgot what I was going to say, but uh, I... I recommend this film. What, what oh, if... I definitely do. This movie's a masterpiece. It's uh, it is boring. It's hard. It's harder to recommend it now in a post, all the Star Wars movies world, in a post like the Marvel movies world. It's it probably isn't for everyone. Um, a lot of people, if all you want to do is watch the Fast and the Furious movies, if the movie you look forward to most of the summer is that Hobbs and whatever movie, then yeah, you might not like this movie. But if you like other sci-fi movies, if you like any anything Star Trek, I mean, this is required viewing. Um, if you like uh, the Andromeda Strain and the Quiet Earth and stuff like that, I mean, the Andromeda Strain was directed by the same guy, in fact. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, absolutely, you gotta watch this. Uh, if you if you like Planet of the Apes, I think this is a very good place to go. Yep, and it didn't really, even though it's like two hours long, it did feel like shorter in a way. It felt like an hour and fifteen minutes. To me. Oh yeah, I, I if I, if I watched that movie and didn't know the length, at the end I would say I'd say that movie was about two hours because there are a few times when it drags on, but none of the parts where it drags on are in like the final third of the movie. The whole last third of the movie stuff is just go go go. Everything's interesting. I want to know what's going to happen. There's a lot of tension. It's uh it's well formed in that way. There's still a couple of those getting to the Enterprise themes, but they're all they're all front loaded. They get those out of the way. Yeah, and it it, it just it came off really good. Like uh, to me, I came with low expectations. I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's Star Trek. It's gonna be cheesy a little bit, but it was like a big budget film, and it was a big budget film. <laughs> so I do recommend it. So let's get into the ranking. Since you already saw the Star Trek movies, where did you put it, Andy? Well, yeah, I've already seen all six of them, and I'm looking for some of my opinions to change, but for now, I put it at the nice, safe number three slot. And again, we're only going to rank the first six movies, the ones starring the original cast. So that's, you know, middle high. It's, uh, this movie's great, but it's not as great, if I remember properly, as two of the other movies. Uh, I've already said what I think the two best movies are, but I'll go ahead and just in case you're only listening to the Star Trek episodes, I'll keep you in suspense. I'm sure everyone can guess what one of them is. Mm-hmm. This is one of, the, one of the most famous sci-fi movies ever made. But yeah, I'll stick it at number three for now. And I'm going to put it at number one because I've never seen any of the movies. <laughs> so 
Uh, the best one you've ever seen. <laughs> yep, so far. I mean, not counting the next generation movies. If that was part of the list, it would probably change a little bit. We'll do those one day. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's where we'll end it because we have to get into the Godzilla podcast. Uh, anything you working on? Or are you just still the same like last week? Yeah, same. Yeah, uh, me, the same thing with Nerd Review. Still working on the website. Just been dealing with a lot of, you know, other projects. And there's going to be new announcements soon. And new logos that I'm working on, by the way. I showed Andy our new logo for this podcast. He wants to change colors and stuff. So uh, keep an eye out on that. Uh, to catch our podcast, go to novnetwork.podbean.com. We're also on, I know there's no more iTunes, so I guess Apple Podcasts it's called now, and uh, Spotify. Uh, rest in peace, iTunes. We've known you for a really long time. Yeah, good riddance. <laughs> there we go. On that note, everybody, uh, next well, week's episode we're doing Star Trek Wrath of Khan. I, I know that iconic scene, so that's why I said it like that. Mm-hmm. So be prepared, see that movie, come back here, and we'll talk about it. And uh, yeah, let's watch some movies, damn it. See you guys later. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>